My name is Pastor Justin, and uh, welcome those of you online, those of you guys who are joining us. And we're in a series walking through the book of Nehemiah together. And uh, we're in kind of like Nehemiah chapter 5. I'm going to be focusing primarily on, on chapter 6 today. So if you've got your Bibles, kind of get in there to, to meet Nehemiah. First, you might have to scroll through to find it, uh, the book. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be in. Just to kind of catch you up, if you're like first time here, you haven't been here in a while, uh, Nehemiah is essentially a book about a man who is blessed with a burden. And it was a burden to restore and rebuild the, the identity and dignity of his people. And he does this by doing a really practical thing. He rebuilds a wall. And essentially, it's a wall that's been in ruin that surrounded the city of Jerusalem for 141 years. It's just been torn down and in ruin. It's interesting when I was studying this past week that Nehemiah's name actually means comforter. Comforter. Um, or Jehovah comforts. And it, it, what's really interesting is that Jesus uses the word comforter to describe the Holy Spirit. But the, Israel, and the Israelites had been trying to rebuild the ruins for over 70 years and were not able to do it in their own power. But once the comforter came, um, spoiler alert, they, they got it done in 52 days. So, so what's interesting to me is this, like what couldn't be accomplished in a lifetime without the comforter was finished in a season with the comforter. And my fear is like American Christians in this new covenant that we live in with the power of the, of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us is that we've learned how to accomplish things without the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we don't try to accomplish things with the Holy Spirit. And so as we talk about this, of like rebuilding walls and relationships and things in our own life, like what if, what if what you're trying to rebuild is in your own strength and all you're getting is tired and exhausted and discouraged? When God has given you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, right? That to put his super on your natural so that you can go further, faster when he's leading you and when, when he's empowering you. And I just want to encourage you in that because it is very important that you are being led by the Holy Spirit. If you're not being led by the Holy Spirit, then what you can fall into, and this is kind of what Christianity can, can sometimes devolve into, is when, when we have really good ideas or things that we want to do, and then we try to invoke the Holy Spirit into it. It's essentially called witchcraft in other, other places, but, but it's essentially taking our own will, our own emotions, our own desires, and then trying to invoke, you know, the Holy Spirit to like bless it and to be over it. Um, when we're talking about being led by the Holy Spirit, it means that just like Jesus, like being actively listening to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is up to, what the Father is about, and then choosing to join in with that, choosing to follow that which God is in. One of the greatest questions that you can be asking the Holy Spirit is this, what is the one thing that you want me to be working on right now? What's the one thing that you want me to be working on right now, Holy Spirit? Not, not, not what other people need to be working on, not what, every, not what everyone should be working on, not what I, I'm not, what is the one thing that you want me to be working on right now? Because we can do a whole lot of good things and still fail 
to do the one thing that God has called us to do. And that's discipleship. It's organic and it's different for all of us. Like there are a lot of things that you could be working on right now, but what's the one thing that, that, that God is wanting you to work in and to focus on in this time, in this season that you're in? And it's probably different for every single one of us because he works in times and seasons in our life. Even think about this, the book of Nehemiah. Let's kind of like extrapolate that into our current lives. Um, did you know that Nehemiah did not remain a lifelong wall rebuilder consultant? That's, it wasn't like his calling in life. He wasn't like, I'm just the rebuilder wall guy and I, I'm going around to different cities and now I'm helping them rebuild walls because I was so good at it in Jerusalem. And so that's my job, that's my gig, that's my calling, that's my all in all. That's why that's what I was put on this earth was to rebuild walls. No, he actually, he goes further on and leads and does all kinds of stuff and we'll get into that. But like, What's interesting is that God works in our lives in times and in seasons. That's why it's important to be asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want me to be working on right now? Because the one thing may be something that's going on in your family right now. Maybe it's something that's going on in your marriage or something that the Holy Spirit revealed to you this morning in your prayer time. The thing that maybe you've tried before, you've, you've just lost focus on, you've kind of just let it go by the wayside. What is the one thing that the Holy Spirit is calling you to work on right now? And here's what I want to say before we get into it today, is that the one thing may not be what you would consider a very spiritual thing. The temptation in moments like these is when a preacher is up there and up here and you're and talking to you about what's your one thing, you, you, automatically it's like, I need to read my Bible more. I should pray more. I didn't pray this morning. I need to, I need to be better, do better. All, all of these things, the, the kind of like guilt and introspection starts like coming up and we think like, I, I'm just a bad Christian. I should be doing better in these areas of my life. I want to point out to you this at a 30,000 foot level is this. Nehemiah's one thing was to build a wall, something that we would see as very unspiritual. It's building a wall. I'm talking stacking blocks, manning teams, getting people, delegating responsibilities to build a wall. And um, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is to deal with the things that don't seem all that spiritual, but will make a huge impact on your spiritual life. So don't neglect something just because you're like, yeah, but that's not, I don't know, that doesn't match what, uh, with what my kind of Christianity tells me is the one thing that I should be working on. Sometimes it is sometimes the most practical thing. Maybe your one thing is a habit, like a habit you need to break or a habit you need to build or rebuild into your life. Maybe your one thing is a relationship, like a, a relationship that you need to work at rebuilding or restoring because it's just, it's down here. And maybe, maybe your one thing is you need to pick up that phone or you need to be the first person to say, I'm sorry. Like maybe your relationship, the thing is a relationship that you need to just end. Like maybe you need to press pause or stop or just move on and it's been a long time coming. Maybe your one thing is a debt you need to pay back to make it right and to get out of this thing. The thing is that 
most of us know exactly what our one thing is. It's, it's that thing that keeps coming up to us. At times like this, when, a, when you know, like I'm poking at things and, and you're like, mm-hmm, yep, you're preaching right to me, pastor. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I really am not. But, but you will keep hearing the same thing until you begin to walk in obedience to the one thing that God has called you to. And it will just keep coming up and coming around, coming around the mountain. It'll come around the mountain, coming around the mountain until we finally come to the place of like, okay, I'm going to face this thing. Because Nehemiah had been given a burden, his one thing. But he didn't just sit on it. He didn't just wait for somebody else to do it. He didn't sit around and maybe pray it in and expect God to fix everything or to build the wall. He prayed up, he made a plan, and then he worked the plan. He, got, he prayed, he made his plan, and then he worked the plan. Because if you don't make a plan and work the plan, you may know what your one thing is, but you will get no closer to facing it. It'll just keep coming around. The, yep, there it is again. Yep, oh, oh, pastor's talking about me again. Yep, there it is again. Yep, there's that thing. Oh, it's, I can see it. Oh, I'm not going to look. Oh, there it is again. Just keeps coming around until we decide to pray it in and then make a plan and work the plan. And this is what Nehemiah does. So that's kind of a preface to what we're going to talk about today. In Nehemiah chapter 6, I hope you're there. Um, we're going to start reading in verse 1. In verse one. When word came to Sanballat and Tobiah, yeah, yeah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. So they'd done it. I mean, this, the wall was built, no gaps. And then he says, Though up to that time I had not yet set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. This is the message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Yeah. Word to the wise, never meet with your enemies in a place called Ono. Like sometimes you see it and you get the invitation. And it's like, man, you need to start saying no, no to the oh no. Like, no, I'm not, no, nah, no, 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 no. I'm not going to oh no. That's, that's just, we're not going to do it. I'm not going to meet you there, right? Because the plane of oh no for Nehemiah was a distraction to his focus, what he was called to do, to finish what God had started. It's interesting that Nehemiah is busy making progress for God And just when he's making all this progress, he gets an invitation from the enemy. And it's important to realize that many times those things happen at the same time. You will be making progress for God and at the very same time receive an invitation from the enemy. Why? Because he comes for one thing, to steal, kill, and to destroy so as you're, if, you're, if you're moving forward in God and you're like, no, this is the wall that God has, has called me to and I'm moving forward. This is the one thing, Holy Spirit, what is the one thing that I need to be working on? As soon as you start making progress, just expect you may get an invitation from the enemy, which is a distraction from the focus that God has placed you on. And then he goes on in verse two, it says, but they were scheming to harm me. Now, I have no idea how Nehemiah knew that they were scheming to harm him or what they were scheming to do. Because if you just look at it, like you just look at verse two and like at first glance, it would seem like, Nehemiah, dude, like you should probably accept this. These are your enemies. They're looking to kind of have like 
a peace treaty. They want to talk it out. They want to just, you know, hug. I don't know. Here's the point. Any leader in the family of God, if you, if you are if you are called, like if, you, if, you, if you've received the Holy Spirit living within you, you have something called discernment. It's kind of like a, like a spiritual sixth sense, like um, where all of a sudden you, you will find yourself having like a check in your spirit is kind of what we call it sometimes, where like you'll be walking into a situation or in a conversation or moving into a decision and you're like, man, there's just something off here. Like, it, it looks good. Like, it's an invitation to go and for a peace treaty. Like, I should, I should accept this. I mean, this, this would be the Christian thing to do. We want to work to peace, right? And I'm a peacemaker, but there's something off. And I, just, I just get this sense that, like, God's not in this. I don't know if you've ever had those experiences. I hope you have. And the longer I lead, the more I come to trust in discernment. And if I'm honest with you, I've learned to listen to it through not listening to it and wishing I had. You ever had those experiences where you're like, ah, there's something off here. And you're like, no, come on, Justin, you should, you should do this. And this is the right thing to do. And this is the Christian thing to do. And this, I put this pressure on myself to move forward in this. And then I'm like, oh, what did I do? I should have listened to this. I've learned to listen to discernment through not listening to it and then wishing that I had. And here's the thing about discernment, because discernment kind of like, I don't know why, but we kind of, especially in like charismatic circles, we kind of talk about discernment always in the negative. Like, I don't know, I'm just I'm looking for, you know, I just, I don't like that person. They walk in the room and you're like, mm, I don't know, I think that they got something going on there. This situation, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying. We always look at it kind of like in the negative, like, and it can quickly turn into a critical spirit if we're not careful, because all of a sudden now we're just kind of looking for all the bad stuff and all the wrong things that are going on, what I should stay away from. But like, Christians should be using discernment in the positive too. Like, let me just tell you, there will be times where you will look at a situation, look at a relationship, look at the outward and say, man, that is bad, that is messy, that, I, that is scary. But you will have a check in your spirit to move forward because God's in it. Let me define it for you in a different way. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's the definition of faith. It says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The point is this. The walk of faith is not only seeing with your eyes, but perceiving with your spirit what God's up to. Which means that there are times where everything looks good from the outside and you're like, mm, 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 oh no, to the no, no. Oh no, oh no, 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 to the oh no, right? And then there are other times where Everything looks bad, and you're like, man, that's scary, and I don't have time for this, and this doesn't seem like something that looks fun or comfortable, and this is, eesh. and yet God's in it. And he's saying, I want you to go walk in this and trust me. Trust me that I'm in the midst of this. Discernment. Verse 3 continues. This is, this is how uh, Nehemiah responds to this invitation from the enemy. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I love it. I am carrying on a great work and cannot go down. Nehemiah knew that he had one thing that he needed to be about, 
and he could not come down for other things. If only we could see distractions as clearly as Nehemiah did. Amen? If only we could just have such clarity of vision and of focus to be like, all of these things are great and these are good things that I could be doing and maybe even should be doing. I don't even know, but I'm just telling you, I'm doing a great work right now. I'm in a season where God has just placed me. I know what my one thing is that I'm supposed to be doing. And these are good things and great things, but I just can't come down from the one thing that I'm doing. And in verse four, it says, four times they sent me the same message hey, we'd love to come and you'd come and we got, we got a little like all, all expense paid trip to Ono, right? You just come on down here. And he says, and each time I gave them the same answer, I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Have I mentioned I'm doing a great work and cannot come down? Actually, you know what? Let me just say it a different way. I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. Do you realize that there's power in persistence? Sometimes we answer no to the first, the, the first time, and that's a, that's a decision. But when you say no four times, that's resolve. That's like, yeah, you're not going to twist my arm into doing this thing. Like, I know what my one thing is. That's a great, I'm just not going to do it. There's power in persistence. One of the most strategic skills that you can develop is the ability to say no to things that will distract you. As a leader, as a leader in your family, as a leader at work, as a leader in church, whatever, like one of your most important words is no. Some of you have a hard time saying it. So I want you to say it with me. One, two, three. No. Now say it with authority, like you mean it. One, two, three. No. Say it with a smile. One, two, three. No. Look at your neighbor and just say it with a, with a real cheerfulness. No. No. It feels good, doesn't it? You just, no. No. Oh, well, can you do this? I'd like you to commit to this. No. You can even, you don't, sometimes we think, oh, it's so mean when I say no. You could say it nicely. You just, no. No. And people will be like, that was the best rejection I've ever had. Right? Hey, you want to go out on a date? No. I, I, I'm not coming down for you. I'm sorry. Like, No. No. One of the most strategic skills that you can learn is the power of no in your life. Um, ne Nehemiah realized that like staying focused is realizing that, that your no to some good things is a yes to the one thing. I'm doing a great work and, I, and I'm sorry, but I, I, I can't come down from that. <laughs> no. He goes on. Nehemiah asks a really great question. Verse three. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Great question. I think it's kind of a, a bit of a hypothetical question, you know. In other words, he's like, how does spending time with you benefit the one thing that I'm called to be doing? Let me say this, and I, and I say this in, in love, especially in our current culture, is this. You are not called to just be busy. We tend to wear busy like a, like a badge of honor in our culture. How you doing? Busy, busy, busy. Yeah? Things are going good, huh? Yeah, busy. Busy, busy, right? Yeah, you're doing a great, great weekend? Busy. Busy weekend now, busy, right? 
And we're like, oh, wow, you must be important. Things are going really well. You're busy, 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 right? That's awesome. Wow, I wish I was busier than busy, right? Like, and we kind of wear this thing as though we're kind of proud of it. Let me just remind you, you are not called to just be busy, especially if you're busy doing things that don't matter most. It's getting busy doing stuff, doing good things, but you're actually not paying attention to the one thing that God has put in front of you to do. It's kind of like when, you, when you, he asks this question, like, why, why, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? It's almost like asking yourself the question, if we bring it personally. How is that thing that I want to buy right now going to get me closer to my goal of becoming debt-free? Like, how is this distraction helping me in my goal of repairing my marriage? How is this dating relationship that I'm currently in getting me closer to my goal of finding a godly spouse and starting a family? How is my current lifestyle and my current eating habits getting me closer to my goal of being healthy? It's like asking yourself if, if what you're doing today is getting you closer to where you want to be tomorrow. This is essentially the question that Nehemiah asks. What does it benefit me to leave this wall, the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, to go visit with you? That's a distraction from that. And you may be thinking, like, well, that's, that's not really that spiritual, Pastor Justin. What's more spiritual than caring for the body that God's given you? What's more, well, tell me, what's more spiritual than maintaining the relationships that God has entrusted you with? What's more spiritual than, than essentially being a good steward of the treasure that God has provided you with? What, what, is, what is more spiritual than achieving the goals and the calling on your life in your lifetime? What, what's more spiritual than that? Well, I thought you were just going to talk about reading your Bible more and like praying more. I was, I was trying, getting ready to be all introspective and feeling bad about my Christian walk. No, I'm saying like sometimes the most spiritual things you can do is to deal with the things that are practical right in front of your face that make a huge impact on your spiritual walk. Many times we know what our one thing is, but we're just too busy to pay attention to it. Because you've got kids, you've got a great work in front of you. You cannot afford to come down from that. If you're married right now, you've got a great work in front of you, and you cannot afford to come down in your job or your career right now, and this is gonna, this is gonna fly in the face of, of kind of our American culture. Can I just say this? More money does not always mean God's will. Maybe that's a prophetic words for somebody in here. You're kind of chasing after that next promotion, that next thing, that next job, that next, that next, that next, because that's gonna be able to get more and more and more and more. More money does not always mean God's will. Sometimes, because your life is more than work, you can look at a job opportunity and say, that's a great opportunity, but I'm not coming down for you. Because it's actually going to take away from the one thing that God has placed in my life. Amen? If you're a young adult right now, you need to keep saying, hey, you're real cute, but I'm not coming down for you. You, you got pretty eyes, but sorry, I can't come down for you, right? <laughs> Many times we already know the good work, that we are supposed to be focusing on the one thing, but the challenge is, are you going to climb the ladder and stay on the wall? 
And so Nehemiah says, no, 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 to meeting at Ono, which is smart. Verse 5, then the fifth time, the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. The fifth time, but it's different this time. Notice this. And in his hand was an unsealed letter. What does that mean? An unsealed letter. I told you last week that Sanballat was kind of like the the OG social media troll, right? Like he's like, this is where it all began, right? This is where the kind of social media trolls began. Sanballat just kind of like kicks this thing off. What it means is that it is no longer a text message between Nehemiah and Sanballat. Like now it's, he posted it on social media. Like this is an open letter. Everyone can read it. Everyone can read this. And he says this, in which it was written, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem says that it's true. Pause. This is how rumors work. This is exactly how rumors work. They always lack accurate information. Well, people have told me in confidence, and I've heard it's been on, it's been on social media. Um, I have it on good authority, and Geshem told me too. I'm just saying, like Geshem also, right? Don't let the whispers of people distract you from the call of God. Let me say that one more time. Do not allow the whispers of people to distract you from the call of God. I said this a couple weeks ago. As a leader, there will be times where you will feel pushed to make decisions in reaction to a nameless, faceless, numberless group of hypothetical people And when you make decisions in reaction to that, you are bound to make a bad decision. As people have said, I'm just talking, people are talking. I'm just saying, I've I've heard from people have come to me in confidence. I can't know, I can't say their names. They wouldn't wouldn't allow it, right? I'm sorry, but this this is kind of, you know. Never trust information that doesn't come with proper credentials. If you want to suss out facts, here's, here's something. If you want to suss out facts and make a gossip drop their jaw, simply when you hear the information, just say to them, can I quote you on that? I'm going to write that down. Can I quote you on that statement? All of a sudden it's like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I was just, I heard and people said, and all the, can, can I quote you on that? Well, I couldn't. I just, I just thought you should know. What were the rumors that Sandalit and he, that he put on social media? Verse six. Three things: that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. So there's three things that they're accusing him of. One, you're an insurrectionist. We know it. Number two you're about to become a king, and we know it. And number three, you hired prophets to tell everybody, there's a king in Judah, there's a king in Judah, to tell everybody what you want them to know about yourself. So Nehemiah's adversaries start with distraction. They're like, hey, come, come meet with us. Come. That didn't work. Then they try intimidation, you know, uh, that didn't work. 
you know? And now he tries manipulation. And this is where Sanballat tries to twist the knife into Nehemiah in verse 7. This is the point. This is it right here. He says this. Now, this open letter, this report, will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Critics will pressurize you into feeling like you have to react to them. Haters will pressurize you into feeling like you have no, you are backed into a corner. They are going to tell the powers that be, even if it's true or not true, and you have to react. So come. I've asked you four times. The fifth time, I'm not joking around. Come meet with us. What they're hoping is that one of two things happens. One, Nehemiah gets off the wall and he goes and meets with them at the plane of, oh no, so that they can possibly kill him. Or number two, Nehemiah gets off the wall and he runs to Artaxerxes to try to convince him that the rumors that he's probably heard aren't true and and to pay no attention to all of those things. Either way, Nehemiah gets off the wall and the work stops. That's the point. The big point is we don't care if you come meet with us and oh no, we can kill you or you go run off 800 miles back to Artaxerxes and try to convince him and he's probably going to kill you anyway because he's afraid that all those things are true. Verse eight, look at how he replies. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. (laughs) They were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. And then he says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. What I love about this guy, he is like, man, he, he refuses to get off the wall, even to protect his own reputation. Because here's the reality. I believe this true. Like, if you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to fear. If you live your life, you're not perfect, right? But you live your life humbly before the Lord. You try to walk in righteousness. You try to walk in the spirit. You try to do things, walk in and, and, and be in obedience to what it is that God's calling you into. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you don't mess up. But if you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to fear. And Nehemiah's like, look, I got nothing to fear. Why? Because I got nothing to hide. This is all made up. I'm not going to go run around and try to, oh my gosh, let me post on social media a response to this open letter. It's not true. None of it's true. Let me explain to this. Let me prove to you. Let me show you all this. Uh, You know, no, he's like, no, none of this is true. You're just making it up. It's all done. It's just a bunch of junk. What fear does is that it adds value to our busyness. Think about this. We begin to think that our worry is work. And the sneaky thing about worry is that it can feel like work because you're just spinning around. I mean, you're just trying to get this thing. It's just fear and anxiety and worry and all these types of things. And worry and fear will exhaust you. It'll feel like work, except you get nothing accomplished. I mean, you're spinning around, spinning around, spinning around. You're not going anywhere. You're just spinning around, spinning around, spinning around like a top right? And you're exhausted at the end of it. You're dizzy. You're like, oh my gosh, I've been working so hard today. Well, what'd you do? I've just been worrying a lot for all the things that I need to be worried about. I've just been spending my days just doing that. What'd you, what'd you get done? That? I got it done. I got worried done. Put in the hours. Somebody had to, right? 
And so instead of being productive with our, with our hands, we spend our time wringing them, which is why I think it's so interesting that this is what he says. Their hands will get too weak for their work and it will not be completed. But I pray, Lord, strengthen my hands. Rather than wringing my hands, I pray you strengthen them for the work that you've placed me on this wall for, to do. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna worry, I'm not gonna wring my hands, I'm gonna stay busy looking around, looking over my shoulder, worried about what people are saying, worried about the rumors that are flying. I am, Lord, strengthen my hands so they do not go weak with worry. I'm not wringing them, I'm working them. I love this guy. All right, verse 10. Then another situation happens. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, uh, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. That's pretty big, right? I mean, it's a big deal. So now not only his enemies, Sanballat and and you know, Geshem and Tobiah, yeah, yeah. Like, not even those guys. Not, now it's like a death threat from his own countrymen. Like, he doesn't know who's coming. Somebody, maybe, maybe people that are, like his neighbors are, have been hired, they're coming to, to kill him. He has a death threat on his head. And so his friend tells him, like, hey, guys, like, get off the wall. You got to get off the wall. They're coming to kill you. At night, they're coming to kill you. Let's go into the temple. Let's go into the house of God. Nobody's going to kill you if you're in the temple. Let's close it up. Nobody can murder somebody if they're in the house of God. And look at Nehemiah's reply. He said, verse 11, should a man like me run away? I love that question. Or, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his own life? Like what if you asked yourself that question in your own context? Should, should someone like me run away just because it got hard? What, what should a person like me do in this situation? I, I love it because it removes all of our worry, all of our personal fears, all of our, all of our personal anxieties, because I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about somebody like me. I wonder what it would look like if we just took our own advice. Not, well, I just feel like this and I just feel, no, 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 what would someone like you do? Well, I don't know, but, I, but from, for, as far as me, I, I would do that. No, 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 someone like you. If you weren't you, what would you tell you to do? You should do that. Hmm. You mean take my own advice? Maybe. Because if not, you're only answering your own fears, worries, and anxieties. And Nehemiah is resolute, and he says, I will not go. Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him, his friend, this, this, this guy, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They hired him. Isn't it interesting that this is exactly what Sanballat and Tobiah had accused Nehemiah of doing, hiring a prophet to do their bidding. If you just go back to like the three things, that, that the, the, the last one is like, yeah, you hired some prophets to tell everybody what, what you wanted them to, to say. And this is exactly what they did. This obviously was not a non-profit prophet. He was a, he was a for-profit prophet. <laughs> Sorry. 
It's a dad joke. There's not many for-profit prophets, but here they are. This is a for-profit prophet. Here's my point. Here's my point. Guilty people tend to accuse innocent people of their own sins, don't they? Yeah, it is. Well, I just think she's cheating on me. Why is that? Because you're cheating on her? Well, yeah. I can't tell you how many times those situations come up where all of a sudden you're accusing somebody of doing something. You're accusing someone of doing something. And all you're really doing is pointing to the things that you're already thinking about or doing in your own life and heart. Guilty people will accuse innocent people of committing their own sins. So why did he hire a for-profit prophet? Verse 13, he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. What he's saying is this, if I react in fear, if I go and hide, I will actually empower the slander that was meant to discredit me. If I react in fear, if I go and I hide, I close the doors of the temple and I go and hide from this thing, from these people, from this from these rumors, from this death threat, I will actually legitimize the evil reports. I won't go. I won't do it. Through all of these things, verse 15. So, the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. What could not be accomplished in over 70 years was finished in 52 days. And what's interesting to me is that there's really no supernatural miracles involved here. There's no fire from heaven. There's no parting of the seas. There's no, they didn't wake up one morning and, and part of the wall was finished for them by wall elves in the night. Like this, this, nothing like this happened. There was no supernatural things. And yet there was something that was completely supernatural. It was the miracle of unity. Unity. One man, blessed with a burden, casts a vision, makes a plan for a, for a common cause, and the people gather together, and they work the plan, and they kept working the plan, no matter what, together. And what happened? Verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. What if, what if, church, what if our unity was the thing that diffuses the enemy of our souls? Amen. What if our common cause, our common work, and our uncommon love for each other is what should cause an unbelieving world to stand back in utter disbelief? To say, man, I... You could say a lot about those Christians, but I'm telling you what, none of this could have been done without the help of their God. Why don't you stand with me? All of this would never have happened unless a possibly poisoned wine-tasting servant decided to receive a burden and dream a dream and ask a preposterous question to a king. And through 
mocking and distractions and competing opportunities and threats and fears and reputation smears and all kinds of things to begin a great work and to simply refuse to be pulled away from it. So I want to leave you with this today. What is your one thing in this season of your life? Holy Spirit, what is the one thing that you're calling me to do, to be about, to be focused on right now? You are doing a great work and you cannot come down. Even if the enemy starts whispering, even if people around you start mocking you, even if rumors start flying, even if people don't understand why you start to say no to things that you always said yes to, stay on that wall. Why? Because you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to stay on that wall. No idea. Lord, I pray that you would, you would just confirm on the inside of us that which you placed in front of us in this season, right now, in the time that we're in. Lord, the, the next step that you've placed in front of us, the wall that you've called us to rebuild, the habits, the relationships, the, whatever those things are, and sometimes they're far more practical than we'd like them to be. What is the one thing that you've called us to be and to do? And for maybe someone in here today, you're in this place of like, you've been doing a lot without the Holy Spirit and you wonder what would it look like if I, if I did it with the Comforter? And you've never come to that place. I'll just let you know this. If you've come in here and you're like, well, I'm not really a Christian. I wouldn't call myself a Christian. And yet you are tired and exhausted and completely at your end. This trade that Jesus talks about, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I just want to give you an opportunity today. If you're in that place, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All of this that we've been talking about is truly walking in step with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit leads you. If you're in that place of completely exhausted and tired and want that trade in, I just encourage you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. And maybe you just pray this prayer with me. If this is your heart and this is your place of just, I want to get on this wall. I know what God's placed me to do and I've been trying to do it on my own and all I am is tired and failing at it. God, I need your help in this. I'm trying to do it all by myself. And so Jesus, I choose to receive you today as my Lord and Savior. And I repent of my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would become real to me. Lord, I thank you that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to rise from the dead for, so that I could have more and better life. And I ask that you would apply that blood to my life today as I receive him. Lord, I thank you for that gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.